Okay, show of hands. We're going to set the, the over under at four and a half. How many of you have watched more than four and a half Christmas movies this, this Christmas season? Show of hands. Okay, we got some Christmas movie fans. Okay, and then the rest of you, I'm assuming, show of hands, under four and a half Christmas movies? Under four and a half. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know about you, but the way that Christmas movies work for me is uh, there's some new traditions in my new family that there are certain Christmas movies that you have to start with. You know, we have to start with Home Alone. Home Alone is the first one out of the gates, and then we kind of get to make our way through the rest of the Christmas movie catalog. But there's something about the impact of these movies. I don't know if you experienced this, but they kind of like draw you in, bring you into the Christmas season. It's like the, the, the movies in combination with the music have this kind of transformative effect on us. And so hopefully by the time we get to the week of Christmas, you know, this coming week, we are fully saturated with all of the movies and the metaphors and the music and the language. And we're like ready for Christmas. We were watching uh, a movie the other night and uh, I was, couldn't help but like see all of the similarities between the movie that we were watching and the sermon series that we're in. And it's one of those terrible curses of being a pastor. It's like everything is through the lens of a sermon, um, which I'm sure gets really old to be around me. Like, oh, that's a really good sermon illustration. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I was watching it because as I was reflecting on this scene, it's really kind of the point that we're trying to talk about over the last several weeks is there are parts of the Christmas story that are truly miraculous. There are these elements, these aspects that are sometimes a little bit difficult to believe are actually true or literally true. You know, it's like the difference between kind of fact and fable, and we're not really sure where these Christmas stories fall, but yet they all seem to point to this larger truth. And so we were watching Miracle on 34th Street. I don't know if that's a Christmas favorite of any of y'all's, um, the 1994 version, because in my family, we don't watch any movies newer than 2002. Everything has to be set in the 90s. Um, so we were watching the 1994 version of Miracle on 34th Street. And if you're not familiar with the plot line, or it's been a while since you've watched it, the whole movie is set around kind of the, uh, kind of, is Santa Claus real? Do you believe in Santa Claus? And it ends up with kind of this kind of court drama playing out over kind of the validity of Kris Kringle's identity as to whether or not he's Santa Claus. And you have all of these different characters who struggle with their own belief as to whether or not he is or isn't Santa Claus. And it kind of culminates with this great scene at the end, you know, and this, like, I mean, for all the lawyers here, and I joke about how many lawyers we have at this church, you're going to be like, oh my God, this would never actually happen, that the identity of Santa Claus would come before trial. But in this, mu in this movie, you know, we suspend certain things that are real, it culminates in this scene where the judge kind of lays down this verdict that's kind of spurred by this child, this main character's gift to this judge. And I want to show you this scene, and then I want to talk about it. Thank you. 
Merry Christmas. I'm not going to behave better. The young lady who just approached the bench presented me with this Christmas card and this. It's a $1 bill. It's going to be returned to her shortly. But by presenting me with this bill, she reminded me of the fact that it's issued by the Treasury of the United States of America. And it's backed by the government and the people of the United States of America. Upon inspection of the article, you will see the words, In God We Trust. Now, we're not here to prove that uh, God exists, but we are here to prove that a being just as invisible and yet just as present exists. The federal government puts its trust in God. It does so on faith and faith alone. It's the will of the people that guides the government. And it is and was their collective faith in a greater being that gave and gives cause to the inscription on this bill. Now, if the government of the United States can issue its currency bearing a declaration of trust in God without demanding physical evidence of the existence or the non-existence of a greater being, then the state of New York, by a similar demonstration of the collective faith of its people, can accept and acknowledge that Santa Claus does exist, and he exists in the person of Chris Kringle. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, it's interesting to think about, like, what evidence we need. You know, in this, the judge kind of makes the ruling based on the faith, the belief that you don't have to have physical evidence to trust in something, to believe that something is actually real. And so the question in the movie is, is do you believe in Santa? And, you know, there's this whole kind of advertising campaign that, Coles uses, the department store uses to kind of spur people to ask the question, do you believe? And really, that's the same question that is being posed in all of the stories of Christmas, is do you believe? And what evidence is needed for you to believe? And so the journey that we've been on is to talk about how not all facts are observable. You can't have empirical evidence for everything. There is a limit to what we can test and verify and empirically know to be true. And then there's this next category that's experiential, that you have to participate in, that you have to receive. And then at some point in the journey, there's a bit of faith, there's a bit of trust that is required. And this is kind of what we've been talking about with the different miracles from kind of the star to Mary's, you know, birth of Jesus as a virgin to the story that we're going to look at today. But the goal, I think, ultimately is not to convince you that miracles are real and that all of the miracles in the Christmas story happened exactly as they've been portrayed. That's, that's really not what I want to accomplish. Because what we've tried to describe is that miracles really function as something else. They're not a question that we get to decide whether or not we believe in them, but ultimately they're a sign that points to a greater truth. Sometimes there are things behind things that are more important 
And I think that's what's true about miracles. And this is the definition that we've used for miracle over the last couple weeks. It's a work of God that points to the presence of God. Now, for this to be true and for this to kind of be the working definition that we're using for miracle, there has to be some basic things that we believe about how the world was made. And if you struggle to acknowledge that at one moment in time, a creator created the heavens and the earth, then everything else that follows from the opening pages of scripture will be difficult to believe. But if you can believe that, then everything else that follows in scripture is possible and is plausible. And we believe that the miracles that scripture contains, particularly the miracles that we've described and talked through in the Christmas story, are all signs. They're a work of God that points to the presence of God. And again, it's not enough, in my opinion, for me to try to just convince you that these are miracles that point to God's presence. But as we'll see through the journey in this last Christmas story, there's something more, I think, that these stories are asking of us, and there's more that they're inviting us to do. And so let me walk you through this last Christmas story we'll tell in this series before we celebrate in a couple of days. So this is out of Luke chapter 2. Many of song have been written about this scene. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, perhaps you've sat through a sermon before about the angels and the shepherds and the, you know, the symbolism of what it means that God sent a messenger down to this particular group of people who are typically viewed as outcasts of society and how we need to rethink you know, the way that God is present and available for people who are on the fringes of society, which is all true. But I wonder if there's also another interpretation, the ways that we can look at this story. We can see these angels of the Lord, they, this angel appears, and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. And now if you were envisioning this scene happening as I do, I think of like a very Clark Griswold kind of moment, you know, where he hits those two chords together and it's like all of the light comes on. That's what I think when I think glory of the Lord. You know, it's like, oh, well, it has to be some light show, you know, something really unbelievable. You just, ah, oh, you're blinded by it. But there's another interpretation because when you look at kind of, the, kind of the word study of some of these words in the story, in particular this word glory, it's not just like magnificence, but there is a, a weight to it. If you've ever had this experience before, and it can come in all these different circumstances, but perhaps you've you know, been paddle boarding out in the ocean and then you have this sense that there is a really large like mammal underneath the surface of the water, like if a whale comes by. That sense of perspective and scale now of your own life in relationship to something else, or maybe you've been on a little boat out in the middle of the water, or you stood at the top of a mountain, or you've been in the midst of this incredible forest. There are all these different places where this can happen, but it's this immediate shift in perspective and awareness of your place in the larger picture. That significance, that weight, that depth, like, oh, my God. When you realize how small you are, there's something much bigger happening around you. I had this experience at the Grand Canyon. I don't know if you've been to the Grand Canyon, but there are certain places, at least when I went, when I was, I think, 13, where you can, like, walk, literally walk up to the edge, 
And you're like, I should not be allowed to be this close. I'm, I don't even trust myself. But like, why am I allowed to get so close to the edge of the Grand Canyon? And so I have this moment where I remember and I like really sat down on the edge and like, you know, you're like your feet are dangling off the edge. And you're like, well, if I just lean forward, like, but when you get so close to something so much bigger than yourself, you realize that everything is reoriented into a proper perspective. That's another understanding for this word glory. The glory of God, the glory of the Lord, it recalibrates everything. I think that's one of the the dangers, the risks, kind of the effects of this Christmas season is we lose all perspective as to what's truly most important. You know, one of the things that I, it took me a while to understand, but Michael, our worship leader, he stands up here sometimes and he talks about the story that we tell and retell over and over again. And at first when he started to do this, I was like, I don't really know, understand what he means when he says that. But as we've had more conversations and I've kind of learned more just about life and of being a pastor, what I realized is belief is not just an intellectual assent. It's not just some ideal you hold, but really belief is about creating an understanding of how the world works, your place in it, your, the proper perspective, and then the priorities and values that follow because of what it is that you believe. And I think so often for so many of us, in this Christmas season, all of that gets jumbled and turned upside down. And we prioritize things that aren't all that important. We've convinced ourselves you know, that a full calendar and you know, a bunch of gifts under the tree are really the best way to experience the Christmas season. But in this story, as the messenger of God appears and brings this message to these shepherds, there's a shrinking effect that happens. There's this gap in their part in the story and God's part in the story that I think is important because it creates space and not space for us to fill, but space for us to recognize where God has already filled it. And so the angel of the Lord appears to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And what happens when you're in that moment where you realize your actual place in all of it? You start to become a little fearful. This word could also be translated as uncertain or confused or perplexed. There's a whole mix of emotion that's happening in this moment as the angel is there before these shepherds. And they're experiencing something that they probably don't have words for. There's probably not a category of an understanding about what it is that they're encountering. And all they know is that they're shrinking in response to it, like in a good way. They don't feel bad about themselves. They just have the proper perspective of themselves now. But the angel, this is the message the angel brings. The angel says to them, do not be afraid. Because in all of the places where we have uncertainty and doubt and confusion in our lives, I think God brings a message of hope, of peace, of joy. Like you do not have to be afraid about all the places where you carry uncertainty. Because I bring you good news that will cause a great joy for all the people. This is the messenger appears. This is the message that the messenger has 
It says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, this whole sermon series has been about the signs that we can identify in the Christmas story to better help us identify the signs in our life. Because these signs simply speak to the way that God is present. And so this messenger appears and brings a message to these shepherds that gives them a sign to look for. And what does the sign communicate? The truth of the message that the messenger brings. Here's how you know that everything that I'm going to tell you is true. Here's how you can trust. Here's how you can believe in this message that I bring you of good news that will be a great joy for all of the people. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then this messenger, this angel, is surrounded by a whole bunch more angels. So suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts, that's another word for like armies of like great numbers of angels are surrounded, these shepherds, and they begin praising God and they begin saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then it goes on and it says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, I don't know if you've tracked along with this series, but every time we've walked through one of these stories, there's been a miracle, a sign, an opportunity that presents itself as an invitation to explore, to dig in, to lean in, and to begin to examine what is actually happening. What is it this sign is actually pointing to, this work of God? How is it speaking to the presence of God? Whether it was to the wise men who goes on this journey, whether it's to Mary who's trying to wrestle with how can it be possible that I'm going to give birth when I'm still a virgin, how can this be? And again, same invitation for the shepherds. It's an invitation to go and explore, to examine, to begin to find out that it's true. And so they, they say, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off. Another translation says, and they raced off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. So they go, they lean in, they accept the invitation, and then they find the baby just as the angel had said that they would. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. This is the piece that I, I don't want us to miss. These signs, these ways that God might be working in our lives, these small little nudges, these whispers of the Holy Spirit, maybe these unbelievable moments of perspective where you are experiencing the glory of God and you are shrinking in these moments. Not only do they point to where God is present, but they also give us the opportunity to receive the message and to share the message with others. This is the part that would have totally changed this Christmas story. If everybody who had encountered these, mirac you know, these miracles 
that had seen the miraculous, if everybody that had encountered them had remained silent about them, what would we have? There would be no telling and retelling of the story. There'd be no opportunity to reevaluate what it is that we believe in relationship to these incredible things. And for us in this Christmas season, as we rediscover the miraculous all around us, it's not just for us to be reminded and feel good about the presence of God in the world and in our life. But it's the opportunity to become a messenger, to become in the Greek an angel, and to begin to share and this message with others. Because when they saw the sign and they found it to be true and they then believed, that belief prompted them to share the message. When they had seen it, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. In this Christmas season, what message awaits us? What amount of hope, confidence, peace, joy is God inviting us to experience? And what are the ways that you can begin to take this message out and share it with others? Christmas isn't just a celebration for us to be reminded of the things that we believe, but it's an opportunity to share a message of joy and hope and of peace with other people. This is why we gather together. Because we need to be reminded of this story. The story invites us to believe. That belief invites us to reevaluate our priorities and our values and the ways that we are choosing to live and participate in the world. And that belief asks us to share the message with others. I think there's a couple of ways we can do this. The simplest is telling people about this story. But what I think is probably more powerful is telling people about your story. Because we all have our versions of the Christmas story, our versions where we have seen God do something in our life, whisper something, nudge something, move something, change something. And it's changed us. It could be small could be big. But the shepherds went and told them what they had seen, what they had heard, and what they had experienced. And I know that, that the single greatest influence in people's faith journeys is the presence of other people, inviting them, sharing with them, communicating to them what they're experiencing, what they've seen, what they've heard. And I know we have all sorts of like hesitations about doing that, my mind kind of goes back to like the sandwich board sign and the megaphone on the street corner and like we think that's how you have to talk about your faith. I don't know that that's true. What if sharing this message looks far different? What if it's like, hey, as somebody's sharing a struggle or sharing some story, you know, here's what, here's what happened to me. Here's my story. Here's what God is doing in my life. Here's what God is teaching me. Here's what I'm learning about myself. There's so many ways that you can just share your own experience that give people the opportunity to go and to see and to explore and to find out for themselves what it is that they believe. I think Christmas so often we lose sight of the importance 
of sharing this message. It's not until the Sunday after where we sing Go Tell It on the Mountain that we're reminded of the truth that this is a message that we're supposed to be sharing with other people. And so we've got a week to go. And so maybe we could get a head start on what it looks like to share this message. Maybe it's with our words. Maybe it's with our actions. Maybe it's in the way that we heal or navigate some type of a relational conflict. Maybe it's just a simple power of an invitation. I know that there are some of you who are here today because of a Christmas invitation to this church. One of them is now on staff here. We sent a mailer out like four years ago. They read the mailer and they showed up to church. And now Aaron Pope's on our team. I know that there are others of you who it was because of a Christmas invitation that you're here now. With seven days to go, what would it look like if we all took up the role of messenger? We took this message out, we shared it with others, and we gave them a chance to come and to see this thing that had happened that God had told us about and give them a chance to believe as well. Let me pray that's true for us today. Gracious God, we thank you for this chance to gather together, to be reminded of the story that we are all living a part of. God, help us to remember that it's our belief in you that should orient our lives. And that in this reorientation, you have called us to share this message with others. God, help us to do this boldly, courageously, to step out into faith, to open our mouths even in the presence of hesitation and fear and uncertainty about how they'll respond or react or feel. But God, help us to be the messengers that you've called us to be, to go and to share this story with others. It is a great story. It is the best story. And we're grateful that we get to be a part of it. We pray this in your name. Amen.